It is a pleasure to be back here at Heartland College and to see many uh, familiar faces, as well as, of course, some brand new faces I've never had the privilege of meeting. It's always good to see more and more extended family, more brothers and more sisters. Amen? Amen. And the Lord wants to speak to our hearts because uh, tonight we're going to talk a little bit about prophecy being fulfilled. You think there's a lot happening in our world today? The question is, what are you going to do about it? I'm learning. I'm learning so much. God has put me through some fast courses of education, true education. And he's really uh, helping me to see things more clearly. I, I have an understanding of the Bible that's deeper than any time in my life I've ever had. Ever since I laid down on that table, December 19, 2016, on that operating table, truly God performed a work on my heart. And I just want to thank him and praise him for the privilege to stand before you and to be his representative. The Bible says something very beautiful in the book of Exodus. It's chapter 25. I would imagine you are more than likely familiar with it. And if you're not, you can certainly turn there. It was when the children of Israel were still in their mystified confusion of understanding who God is and what God's words are about that God began to make himself very plain to them in Exodus 25. And he said right there in verse 8, let them make me a what? He said, let them make me a sanctuary that I may do what? Dwell among them. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And the word among, if you look it up in the Hebrew, the word among actually means in. Let them make me a sanctuary. I'm going to teach them how I'm going to make their hearts my home. But the sanctuary does more than merely teach us about the wonderful grace of God working upon the heart of man. The sanctuary and its services was also designed to show us prophecy. You see, if you really go back to the sanctuary, you'll remember that there were all the various services that would lead up to an ultimate point. You had the Passover, and that's pretty much where all things began. And after the Passover, you would have unleavened bread. And then after that, you'd have the first fruits. And then after that, you'd have Pentecost. And then after that, of course, you would have the trumpets, and the trumpets were preparing the way, 10 days, preparing the way for that great grand day. What's that great grand day called? The day of atonement, the day of atonement. And after the day of atonement, there was only one more feast left. What was that feast? That was the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, when we study these types, God says that when we understand the anti-type, always remember, a type is a symbol, an anti-type is a reality. Every time we go outside and that precious sunshine shines on your body, it puts a type on the ground. That type is called a shadow, and that shadow is a reflection of a reality. And so every type has an anti-type. So when we study these types, what we need to understand is that these are actually seven prophetic signposts. It lets us know the movements of the master. It helps us know where he is and what he's doing. And most importantly, what should we be doing as a result of knowing what he's doing? This is why we have that wonderful statement. It's, it's amazing. You know, you, in one stage of the book, Great Controversy, you could read about how an understanding of the sanctuary showed the position and work of our great high priest. But then in the same book, page 423, it says an understanding of the sanctuary can help us understand our position, our work. That's amazing. 
And so it is that the more that we study these things is the more that God wants to bring across to yours and my heart where Jesus is. Now, where is Jesus on this chart? Where's Jesus right now? We are at that place of the Day of Atonement. There is no other feast going on congruently with this feast. There's no other feast days for us to be giving our attention to except this one feast day, which is none other than the Day of Atonement. And what is Christ doing on the Day of Atonement? Oh, you don't sound like you're sure. Go to the book of Leviticus 19. Now, you should know this by now, my family. I would imagine that we would understand in Leviticus, the uh, 16th chapter, forgive me. Go to Leviticus, the 16th chapter. We do not have to guess. We have a chart that points out every way, Mark, on the heavenward journey. In Leviticus 16, you can look at verse 19. Let's just look at it very carefully. Leviticus 16, just so we can understand it. Leviticus, the 16th chapter. And when you get there, just let me know by simply saying amen. The Bible says in the book of Leviticus, we're looking at the 16th chapter, starting at verse 19. The Bible says in Leviticus 16 and verse 19, And he shall sprinkle of the blood upon it with his finger seven times, and cleanse it, and hollow it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. What is the it that's being cleansed? That's the sanctuary. All right. If you just go back a few verses, verse 16, you would see this is talking about the sanctuary, the structure. Now, understanding this, go to verse 30. When we look at Leviticus 16 and now we look at verse 30, what do we see in verse 30? The Bible says, for on that day, same day, for on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins. And so it is that the great focus of the work of Jesus in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary is to cleanse the sanctuary. But he cannot clean that sanctuary until he first has a clean people. It's the people that make the sanctuary dirty. And so you cannot have a clean sanctuary until you first have a clean people, because if you do it backwards, it's like a mother and a father who has a child who loves to play outside. Parents, if you have a child that loves to play outside and maybe struggles a little bit with that thing called forgetfulness, then there are times that you could be slaving in the house and you're mopping floors and cleaning up and doing everything you can to make sure your house is spick and span. I mean crystal clear, clean. And here it is that when when you're just beginning to stick your chest out, thankful for how hard you work to keep your house clean, that child who loves to play outside will run inside of that house and go through forgetfulness to take off their shoes, and they will walk across that clean floor with the dirt that they tracked up from outside. Now, if mother and father want a clean house, what are they going to have to do? You have to go ahead and start mopping that floor again and, of course, tell that child, listen, I need you to keep those shoes outside. The children were making the house dirty. God is doing a cleansing work, but his children Keep making the house dirty. And so once God can get us to that precious place that we can overcome the thing that keeps causing the sanctuary to be functional, which is sin. Then God can finally have a clean sanctuary because now he has a clean people. And this is the great work of Jesus in that most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. I love to put this picture up. I was praying and saying, Father, what do you want me to put up? And God said, put that one up. 
That's the picture that should capture our attention. Every Christian, I don't care what denomination you're from, the Bible is the Bible. And it doesn't matter if you're Baptist or whatever, or whatever it may be. I, I was on the airplane flying over here and I had the privilege of, you know, flying. And I, I was observing because I'm always going on the airplane and I'm like, all right, Lord, who can I talk to? Give me a soul. And when I got there, so this young man, he was from an, an Asian country, apparently, but I didn't know which one. So, I, you know, I'm just observing him. And as I sat down, I noticed a lady came in and she was struggling. I'm by the window. She's struggling, you know, to get her bag up. He pops out of his seat, goes to her and says, hey, let me put that bag up for you. And I was like, ah, oh, he's courteous. He's very nice. I was like, that's good. And then next thing you know, somebody else drops something. He goes and he picks it up for them. He gives it to them. And they say, oh, thank you so much. And then he says, no problem. It's my pleasure. And he's laughing. I was like, he's a nice guy. And sure enough, I'm just waiting for my opportunity. I wait. I'm like, come on, Lord, just, just, just give me the go. I'm in position. But I'm just like, Father, I got to get the green light. So God finally opens up the door, gives me a green light. I see the young man. He looks at me. I look at him. I said, how you doing? <laughs> you know, once we catch eyes, it's like, all right, it's on now. Oh, I'm doing fine. And we start talking. He says, so where are you going? What are you going for? I was like, all right, well, this is going to be easy now. Start telling him, well, I'm a minister. I'm going to this school and, you know, start sharing. Oh, yeah, really? Wow, that sounds great. Started asking him questions. Are you a Christian? I am. I said, I could tell. How, how did you know? I said, I watched how you were interacting with other people. I'm not saying that a person who doesn't believe in God cannot be nice, but there was something special about the way you were doing it. I said, I had a feeling that the Spirit of God was with you. Really? Yes. So, what do you believe? Oh, <laughs> I'm just like, bro, you know, I mean, that, that just made it terribly easy. So we started having a nice little dialogue, started talking about life, started talking about the principles of God's word, living according to the word. He's only in his 20s. Young man by the name of Stephen, very kind young man, very gentle young man. And here it is. He's going. He was coming here to get a new job. And, you know, we talked about that, wrote down his name. I said, I'm going to be praying for you about your job. Gave him a book, Truth for This Time. And I thank God. I said, Lord, there's so many people that you want to prepare the way for. I mean, it's like all over the world, men and women are looking wistfully to heaven, longing for light and hope and love. Many are on the verge of the kingdom. I don't know if you realize I'm quoting. In that wonderful book, Acts of the Apostles, she says, many are on the verge of the kingdom waiting only to be gathered in. Can you imagine that? When you go to put your gas in your car, God says, slow down. The person across the pump might be somebody waiting to be gathered in. Talk to me so I could talk to you and I can tell you what to say. You see, the great work that Christ wants to accomplish that we might, in truth, be a people prepared to meet our God, is he wants something very special to happen. I want to show it to you from the Bible. You see, the Bible says something in 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's just get down to it. Go to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, and at the end of the day, this is what God wants. And he's not going to be satisfied until he gets what he wants. The Bible says in the book of 1 Peter, we're going to chapter 1. And the Bible says in 1 Peter, we're looking at the first chapter, when you get there, just let me know by saying amen. All right. We're looking at 1 Peter. We're looking at chapter 1. 
And just watch what the text says. The text says it very simple. What does God want from his people? First Peter 1, 15 and 16. The Bible says, but as he which hath called you is what? Holy. So be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Notice that all manner of conversation. That's not just talking about how you talk. Don't get fooled by the word conversation. That word conversation, better translated in the Greek, is talking about the way you live, not merely the way you talk. In all manner of lifestyle, every phase of how you live, be ye holy as I am holy. Verse 16, for it is written, be ye holy as I am holy. You see, in Luke 1 and verse 35, there was a term that was used for Jesus. This is before he was even born. The term that was used for Jesus is the angel came to Mary and said that holy thing that shall be in you shall be the son of God. That holy thing. Jesus was holy in the womb. He was holy out the womb. He was holy as a child. He was holy as a teenager and he was holy as an adult. And he's still holy in the most holy place. And Christ says that I expect you to be holy as I am holy. I want you to be perfect as I am perfect. Because go to the book of 1 Corinthians, yes, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and notice what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians, is either first or second. I think it's second. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 7. If my mind is getting the cobwebs out. Go to 2 Corinthians 7. There it is. Notice what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians, the seventh chapter. Look at what God wants. This is what God wants from us. This is the focus of Jesus in the most holy place of that heavenly sanctuary. What is it that he wants to accomplish amongst his people? The Bible says in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 7, starting at verse 1, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us do what? Cleanse ourselves from how much? All filthiness of the flesh and spirit. And how does it close? Perfecting holiness. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's the great work of Christ. The work of Jesus is that he doesn't want an aspect. He doesn't want a mere demonstration of holiness. He wants you and I to perfect holiness. He wants such a deep cooperation between himself and us that literally in every area of our lives, I'm talking about being a husband, gentlemen, I'm talking about being a wife, ladies. I'm talking about being a child, children. In every phase of our life, God says, I want you to be holy like I'm holy. The truth of the matter is, is that holiness is Christ-likeness. Is that simple enough? Holiness is Christ-likeness, isn't it? It's amazing how we understand the theory, but when we get to the practical, it's pretty difficult, isn't it? I get it, too. But the problem is, is what happens when the challenges come in our life? Are you still holy like he's holy? Are you still perfecting holiness and the fear of God? You know, this is the great frustration of heaven. The reason Jesus has not come back yet is very simple. We're already told this point in inspiration very clearly. Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of himself in his people. When the character of Christ is perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim them as his own. It's not a mystery. It's not difficult. There's an aspect and a demonstration of Christ's likeness that Christ has clearly not seen in his people, for he has not come back yet. 
There's something more that he's waiting for. And the question is, do you know what it is? Do I know what it is? Perfection is what Christ wants, but what is it he wants perfected? Holiness. Remember that? 2 Corinthians 7, 1. He wants holiness to be perfected in every single one of us. And with God, this is possible. Amen? Amen. And so it is that as we're understanding what Christ wants, then we can better appreciate the verse because when the Bible says, prepare ye the way of the Lord, when it says, make straight in the desert a highway for our God, when the Bible says, prepare this way, he wants us to understand that we should make a demonstration, a proclamation of that holy thing before a wicked and sinful world. And when the people hear the message, they're supposed to see the message in you and I. And God won't be satisfied. Now, why am I saying this? Because the problem is this. Medical missionary work is fantastic. I love it. I mean, you know, I love our health message like nobody's business. I cannot get enough. Right now, I'm, ma- I'm making up my own doctorate degree. I said, you know what? I'm just going to study and just go ahead and do it myself. And so I'm just going step by step and studying all these principles of health. And right now, I'm studying fats. And I'm going through everything on fats because that's a point where a lot of people don't really understand very well is what is the point of essential fatty acids? Why do we need it? Da, 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 da. So, you know, I said, yeah, all right. I, I got all the material. I went to all the, the degreed people, and I said, what do you think I should study? And they, they helped me out. I got all the books, and I'm studying it right now, and that's what I'm going through now. Studied a lot about the heart. You can imagine why. I love our health message, but I've met a lot of unholy medical missionaries. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? I have definitely studied, brother, I'm telling you the truth. Y'all need to read Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, page 20. When you get a chance, read that. In that page, in Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, page 20, the servant of the Lord says that a time will come that God's people will be so led by his spirit that when they go back to familiar truths of the Bible, it will appear before them with deeper and greater light. Familiar truths, but now God says, I'm going to take you to the next level of depth in it. Oh, I'm walking in that right now. I'm serious. I don't look at the scriptures the same anymore. It's like he's peeled back some layers and God is saying, now look at this. I understand prophecy better than I ever understood it before. I understand the work of Christ in the most holy place. But it's amazing how a man and a woman can present the work of Christ in the most holy place and still be such unholy people. It's almost amazing I mean, they can literally confound the wicked wise of the world and the church. But at the end of the day, we're not holy in our hearts. You know, it's possible to have a ministry to talk all about your wives and your husbands and your children. And we can teach all the right principles about how a home should be governed, how the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church, and the wife is to reverence the husband as the church is to reverence Christ. And we can teach the theology very clearly. But a man can still act unholy towards his bride. And a woman can still act unholy towards her houseband. And Christ says, I cannot let this in my house. Because a profession is nothing. And so as clear as it is from scripture that Christ is doing a cleansing work, 
And he wants us to be cleansed from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit that we might perfect holiness in the fear of God. As clear as the verses are, it's not that easy to walk in the light of its experience. And yet God is saying, prepare ye the way. Prepare the way. Make the path straight. Get, get these folks ready. But God doesn't want us to preach to others while we ourselves end up castaways. And so it is that as we begin going through prophecy, we begin to understand that there's things that the Lord wants to bring to our attention as a means of helping us to realize John 14. Go to the book of John, the 14th chapter. Remember what Christ said when he was teaching the disciples and walking through the principles of prophecy. He said it very beautifully in John, the 14th chapter. The Bible makes it clear and he wants us to remember John 14, and I want you to watch what the Bible says in verse 29. The Bible says in John 14 and verse 29, and now I have told you before it comes to pass, so that when it comes to pass, what will happen? You might believe. Now we know until we believe everything else we do in the name of religion means nothing. You do understand that. Until we believe, everything we do in the name of religion means nothing to God. How do I know that? Well, you remember the text, Hebrews eleven six. 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And the question is, do you really believe? Because can I show you the clearest proof? Who knows what the clearest proof is that you believe God? Say that again. Obedience. obedience. Is, I'm hearing obedience. Is that right? Obedience. What Bible verse says that? Now, how are you going to prepare the way? And you can't answer this ABC 101 question. Go to John 14. The Bible says in John the 14th chapter, just stay right there. Look at John 14. Look at verse 12. I'll show you what it looks like when somebody believes. The Bible says in John 14 and verse 12, verily, verily, truly, truly, verily, he that believeth on me, what does the Bible say? The works that I do shall he do also. Well, that's a believer. If you want to meet a believer in Jesus, don't worry about what they say. Watch what they do. And then pray about why they do what they do. Because sometimes we can even do the right thing for the wrong reason. Christ wants us to understand, do you really believe me? Do you really trust my words? Do you really, are you and I really someone he can trust? These are the questions that all of us have to ask ourselves. And so because we saw are so incredibly prone to forgetfulness, I mean, just prone to it. God gives us little reminders. God gives us harbingers. He gives us little signposts that lets us know prophecies being fulfilled, prophecies being fulfilled. I meant what I said. So because I said it and you see it coming to pass, now I'm calling you back to believing my words. This is why when I review, you know, we're right here in the brand new month of the brand new year. 
When I look back and I watch all of the things that happened last year, was not 2017 an eventful year? 2017 was a very eventful year. It was a, it was a very eventful year even in Adventism. Like very directly, even in our church, because it was like a lot of things were happening. Some of them very sad, you know. Of course, you know, we saw some warriors go down. You know, we saw people who, who, who you know, stood for the truth, believed God's words to the best of their abilities. We may not have agreed with them on everything, but I would at least say that I believe they were genuine in their approach to the proclamation of the truth. And four people. In one year. And none of them were like just simply members of the church, even though members of the church are also very special in the eyes of God. But these are all people that have traveled literally all over the country, some of them all over the world, sharing the various truths of this time. I think of a woman by the name of Daronda Wilson, Maimon Wilson's wife. I knew her personally. Here it is that she passed away last year. I think of a man who, whose book that I read along with his wife that changed my whole view on a subject called dress. Brother Rick Shorter. And he fell last year. And then God's giant. Elder Moses Mason. Completely unexpected. And it hit a lot of us pretty hard. Warrior. And then right at the very last day of the year, Danny Vieira. These are all people that had large influence. And so even in Adventism, it was just kind of like, wow, okay, this is interesting. Like these are, these are prominent speakers and teachers and so on, and here it is, these things are happening to them. But it's not only that. There were things happening in the church. There were things happening in the world. Nobody can review 2017 and not remember the fact that that was truly the year of financial crisis and natural disasters. If any of you were paying any close attention to it, that was like Matthew 24 just coming dead live in our face. And you remember right there, mega disasters devastated America in 2017. It says, and... They're only going to get worse. Storms, fires, floods, and heat caused at least $306 billion in destruction last year. That's a record. That is a record. And then they started to label it down. It's official. 2017 was the costliest year on record for natural disasters in the United States with a price tag of at least $306 billion. And then they broke it down. Look at this. They broke it down. They started saying, watch this. Notice. They said, California was drenched in the wettest winter on record, ending years of drought. Then came California's most destructive and largest wildfire season ever. The Tubbs Fire in the Northern California killed 22 people and damaged more than 5,600 structures. Hurricane Harvey broke a rainfall record for a single tropical storm with more than four feet of rain. I mean, literally, this is all these different things because these are things that scoffers love to scoff at, but at the same time, Jesus put it on the map to say, listen, keep paying attention to it and watch its rapidity and watch its intensity. He taught us these things. Look at this. Again, Puerto Rico is still mired in the longest blackout in U.S. history after Hurricane Maria struck three months ago. And more than 1,000 are estimated to have died in the storm and its aftermath. 
2017 was the third hottest year on record. San Francisco reported its highest temperature ever, 106 degrees Fahrenheit, while other parts of the country set records for high temperature streaks. For states like Arizona and South Carolina, 2017 was the warmest year ever. It just seems like everything's kind of getting out of control. And Christ told us these things. Yes, many of us become numb to it. But he's trying to shake us up. He's trying to say, don't fall asleep right now. This is the worst time to go to sleep. And so he allows these things to keep coming to pass and say, remember, I told you before these things come to pass. So when it comes to pass, I want you to believe that you can help others to believe. It goes on. 14 places across Oklahoma, Missouri and Arkansas reported record high water levels during floods in April and May. And requests for federal disaster aid jumped tenfold compared to 2016, with 4.7 million people registering with the Federal Emergency Management Agency. Now, this is just on the natural disaster side. Then you also got a lot of people that's just totally giving up on religion. Totally giving up on God. Over the past decade, pollsters charted something remarkable. Americans long known for their piety were fleeing organized religion in increasing numbers. People are turning their backs on God like never before because now we're living in a presidential era where whatever you feel, go ahead and do it and go ahead and say it. And that is the mantra that's going around throughout the United States of America. So we got people right now that saying, you know what, I never did like black people. Let me tell them now. I never did like white people. Let me start telling them now. I'm not going to be politically correct anymore. And now all of a sudden everybody's dropping all these masks and people are showing their real faces and those faces are not very pretty. Jesus warned us that in these very last moments of earth's history, the love of many is going to wax cold. People are not going to love God and they're not going to love each other. And they're going to begin to do all sorts of horrific crimes to hurt, to kill and to destroy. They're walking away from God. Now, it's interesting because as they're walking away from God, notice what's going up, their fears. I thought that this was amazing. They walk away from God, their only true security, and therefore what's going on in the heart of Americans today? The top 10 fears of 2017. Literally, above are the 10 fears for which the highest percentage of Americans reported being afraid or very afraid of. Number one, corruption of government officials. Number two, American Health Care Act, the American Health Care Act and Trump Care. Pollution of oceans, rivers, and lakes. Pollution of drinking water. Not having enough money for the future. High medical bills. The U.S. will be involved in another world war. Then, global warming and climate change. North Korea, using weapons, and air pollution. These are literally the things that's on all these people's minds. That's right across the gas pump when you see them. Now, the question is, did God give us a solution to these problems? You see, I firmly believe with all of my heart the reason why many of us are not preparing the way to help others know about Christ, our righteousness, his near coming, and his ability to save is because we don't believe it. At the end of the day, we don't really believe what we got. I did a test at my church. I was preaching a message, and I said, let me ask you something. It was interesting. A few weeks ago, America has now recognized its youngest self-made billionaire. Young guy, he's only 27 years old, self-made billionaire. And here it is that, you know, he's making all this money and so on, and now Mr. Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, they've all been kicked to the curb. And now there's a new guy who is the richest man in the world. Anybody knows who he is? Jeff Bezos, 
Amazon. 99.8 billion. Okay, now watch this. So I, I asked my church, I, I said, let me ask you a question. I said, if Jeff Bezos showed up and said, listen, uh, I don't know who you are, but I was praying and I asked God to tell me who to help. And so you came in my mind. I found you. So here I am. I'm writing you a check for one point five million dollars. I just want to help you. Please go. Go to your bank and please cash it. You take the check. How many of you would take the check? Okay, I'm just checking. (laughs) I take the check. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. Now, I'm not saying that he's wicked. I'm not saying that he's wicked. I'm just saying even if he was, the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. That's Bible. So anyhow, watch. Listen to this. So you go to your bank. You deposit the check. Tomorrow, the check clears, and you are $1.5 million richer. So it's real. I then asked the church, I said, now, now that you know it's real, I said, my next question. Jeff Bezos comes back to you. He says, listen, congratulations. You now have your money. Now, I need you to do me a favor. I'm going to be waiting at this house over here. I need you to find 10 people, friends, strangers, even enemies, and I want you to tell them to meet me at the house. And I need you to do it by Thursday, and it's Monday. Whoever comes to my house and says, you sent me, I will write them a $1.5 million check. I then asked the members of the church, I said, how many of you would struggle finding somebody? Nobody raised their hands. No one. I said, how many of you would easily come up with people? Everybody raised up their hands. Then I said, how many of you would be timid going to the people? None of them raised their hands. They said they would be bold. They'd be like, brother, listen, you need to follow me. Ah, don't ask any questions. Follow me. I mean, we would have boldness because we understand. We, we tasted it. We saw it. It's real. I said, how many of you would be even more bold if your friend said, I don't want to go. I don't need $1.5 million. I said, how many of you would be bold to correct them, to show them how crazy they are, what they're saying, And help them see the urgency that you need to listen to me and you need to follow and do what I'm telling you to do. Several of them raised up their hands. They didn't even realize where I was taking them. They got caught up in dreaming. Is not the everlasting gospel worth more than 1.5 million? Is it not more real than 1.5 million? Have you not tasted of the gospel power from God? So why are you so timid? I don't care what anybody says, family. The proof is in the pudding. We don't believe. Religion for many of us has become convenient. It's become the thing that we do because we grew up with it. Or we heard it and been practicing it for such a long time and we have no idea what we do with our lives if we didn't do it. It's like we're following God for every reason except the right one. Because I guarantee you this, the more that we start believing is the more the spirit of the Philadelphian church will come back live and in stereo. The days of those precious pioneers. And so what God is doing is God is saying, I'm just trying to send the reminders to help my 
own people believe, let alone the world at large. You start going through it. Last year, you know, and you'll remember that, you know, this was a very interesting one because the, the papacy comes as a solution to the problems of life. People are filled with fear. The economy is messed up. The government is untrustworthy. And the list just goes on and on and on. I didn't get into the mass murder in Nevada, which marked the number one highest single uh, killer, you know, a mass murder done by one single killer in U.S. history. I mean, we're breaking all sorts of records in 2017. And here it is that these things are happening. Papacy comes in and says, we, we can help. We can solve some of these problems. And so it is, what are they doing? The first thing they said is, well, first, it's a, it's a real counterfeit. Because before the beast power can launch, the beast power first has to do a message of unity. He has to unite. He has to bring everybody together. And so it is. Catholics and Lutherans signed joint declaration accepting common path. The leaders of the world's Catholics and Lutherans have signed a joint declaration at an ecumenical prayer service commemorating the greatest schism in Western Christianity, stating that what unites the two traditions is greater than that which divides them. The service heralded 12 months of events leading up to the 500th anniversary next year. So this is 2016 because the 500th anniversary took place last year, October 31st. What was the fruit that came from that? Notice, Pope Francis meets new president of the Lutheran World Federation, and what does it say? Pope Francis met on Thursday with the new president of the Lutheran World Federation, Nigerian Archbishop Musa Panti Philibus, focusing on common prayer as the key to Christian unity. That is always the spirit of ecumenism. Find out ways that you can set aside a difference. And focus on a common path. The Bible does not teach setting aside differences. The Bible teach put away differences. You read that in Ephesians 4. Put away all malice, all bitterness, all anger, all wrath. God says, put it away. I want to blot it out. I don't want you to hide it under your coat. And start acting like you like me when you know you hate me. But that's what happens in ecumenism. Nobody's putting away anything. Everybody's holding on to their idols. They're just saying, for now, let's focus on the common path until papal supremacy, of course, comes back, and then some decisions will be made. And so it is that it says very clearly, through prayer, the Pope continued, we are able to see the painful divisions of past centuries in a new light, abandoning our prejudices, purifying our memories, and looking to the future with confidence. Through prayer, he said, we are called to recognize the gifts of our different traditions and receive them as our shared Christian heritage. It's like we have prophetic events happening all around us in the world of the economy, in the world of the atmospheric agitations in the world of government, in the world of religion, in moral society. Everything around us is God saying, behold, I tell you before it comes to pass. So that when it comes to pass, you might believe. But you know what's scary? You're finding more and more of God's people in the remnant not believing. And an enemy hath done this. You see, while all of this is happening and now the papacy is coming in as a means of support and a solution to the problem, the question is, yet what 
are God's people doing right now? All these things are happening in the world. What's going on with God's people? Go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You see, the Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter and the 11th verse, very important principle that we do well to pay attention to. We are a people not only of prophecy, but we are a people of typology. And the Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians, we're looking at chapter 10. And I want you to see what it says as we consider verse 11, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 11. Very important verse. Paul is rehearsing the events of the children of Israel as they left Egypt and were making their way to Canaan land. And as they were doing this, he gets to a place in the presentation of prophecy where Paul says in verse 11, now all these things happen unto them for what? And samples. And that word in samples is a Greek word, to pose. It means types. All these things happen for types. And we learned earlier today that every type has, a, has an anti-type. So it says, now all these things happen unto them for types. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. The hour is the believers, but it's the believers living in the time of the end. And so Paul is literally saying, all these things happen unto them for types, and they're written for our admonition, God's people in the very last moments of earth's history, living right at the end of time. They're written for us, that we were supposed to pay attention to it. You see, right now, there's a lot happening, not merely in the church at large, I'm not merely in the world at large, but also at the church. In fact, if you really want to pay attention to what's happening in prophecy, you don't just look outside. You also are to pay attention to what's happening inside. You see, if we're truly living in the very last moments of earth's history, then we have to understand what Numbers 25 was telling us. Go to Numbers, the 25th chapter. In Numbers, the 25th chapter, God laid out through typology, prophetic vision, and God showed what would happen right when his people got to the bank of the Jordan. The Bible says in Numbers, the 25th chapter, and Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods. And the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, slay ye every one his men that were joined unto Baal Peor. God's people. Literally right at the bank of the Jordan, across the Jordan was Canaan land. At a time where they should have had their highest focus was the time that they was in a deep, dark sleep. And the devil began to take advantage of their minds, and they found themselves getting caught up in various forms of whoredom. Also, when you read Ezekiel, the eighth chapter, that's another picture of what was happening amongst even God's people as we're getting ready to see probation close. And it kept saying that more and more abominations would happen amongst God's people. At a time where we're supposed to have our highest focus is the time that we're finding ourselves falling into some of the most deep and dark and gross sins. 
And these sins are not just happening in the church. You see, there's no such thing as sins happening in the church. Before the sin happened in the church, it was happening in our hearts and our homes. There was apostasy in the home, and that's how apostasy came into the church. And God wanted us to understand that if we're going to fix the problems in the church, we got to fix the problems where? In that home. The Lord wants us to understand that it's time for real religion. It's time for a real walk with God. It's time for us to take a brutal look at ourselves and say, Father, show me every plague spot of my character. What is it about me where I am constantly frustrating the power of your spirit from having dominion in my heart that I might become like you, that I could be holy as you're holy? You see, if you were to look back at this, watch this little account right here. I thought this was powerful. Ellen White caught a conversation with Satan that he was having with his demons. It's under a chapter called Snares of Satan in the book Testimonies to Ministers and Gospel Workers. And when Satan was having converse with his demons, this is what he said, and that's why you see the quotations. He says, we must cause distraction and division. How did God's people get into such a place that we have fallen so far away from the Lord? The devil said, we must cause distraction and division. Go to the book of Titus chapter 3. Do you know that Paul saw this? When you go to Titus, the third chapter, you literally see that Paul actually saw this. He saw this coming. Titus, the third chapter. And I want you to watch what the Bible says. Titus chapter 3, and look at what it says right there in verse 9. Do you know that Paul warned us a long time ago about these things? Paul said, but avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law. Why? For they are unprofitable and vain. They're empty. Do you know that that's literally what's happening right now? I mean, I sit down with people all the time. Brother Lemon, do you believe in a 25, 20-year prophecy? I said, look, what, how's it going to help me be one step closer to Jesus? If I don't accept it, how does it impact my walk with God? People always come, have you heard about the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is this, Holy Spirit is that, he's not a person, so on. Anybody who believes in that is paganism. I said, my brother, listen, hold on. Honestly, sit down, think about it. What is the danger? What happens to me when I believe that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead? How do I fall into paganism? I didn't say I'm praying to the Holy Spirit. I didn't say I'm doing any of that. I believe he is the third person of the Godhead. He is the representative of Jesus Christ on this earth. And I believe that he is not merely the person of Christ. I believe he's his own person as Christ is his own person. How does that belief make me a pagan? Honestly, how does it make me a pagan? And I found that these folks don't have answers. I'm like, bro, you're distracted. You're allowing yourself to be caught up in distractions and things that are causing divisions that are unprofitable and they're vain. It doesn't bring us any step closer to Christ our righteousness. But this is what's happening amongst God's people. So literally, His work is being fulfilled. We must cause distraction. We must cause division. But then he doesn't stop there. He also says we must destroy their anxiety for their own souls. 
And this is how I study. When I read a quote, I look at the quote, and every point, I like, all right, stop right there. Where in the world do I find that point? Do you know the number one way that the devil kills our anxiety for our own souls? One of the number one ways that he does it. Go to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Watch this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, this is one of the number one ways that he will kill our anxiety for our own soul salvation. 2 Corinthians, notice what the Bible says as we look at chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I was really thinking through these quotes, and I said, Lord, what is it that, how is the devil accomplishing these things? God said, all of these things was already written in my word. God said, I just had to give them double lenses to help them see what my word already said. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, notice what it says. It says, but we dare, for we dare not make ourselves of the number or do what? Compare ourselves among ourselves, compare ourselves with those, some of those that condemn themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Do you know one of the easiest ways to kill the anxiety for your own soul salvation is when you're busy comparing yourself to a whole bunch of other people? It's one of the number one ways the devil causes us to exalt ourselves. Is we're always busy. I'm not as bad as him. I'm not as bad as her. Well, look at what they're doing. And we worry about other people rather than just allowing ourselves to be held accountable before God. Compare yourself to Christ, and that's the only person we should be comparing ourselves to. And I can guarantee you all of our righteousness will pale in comparison to his. God wants us to understand, family, that this is the plan of the enemy. At a time when the world is distracted, people are overwhelmed with fear. Folks are getting broke and losing money and getting locked up and going into shelters and all these things. And we as God's people, some of us don't even have enough country land, let alone a farm on it, to even help a single soul. God laid a whole blueprint plan out of how we could prepare the way. But there's so many of us that's not on the blueprint because we're distracted or because we don't even have an anxiety for. Now, remember, if you don't have an anxiety for your own soul, you certainly won't have it for others. But it's not only that. He says, and lead them to criticize, to judge and to accuse and condemn one another, and to cherish selfishness. By the way, you know selfishness is always self-exaltation. Because you cannot have selfishness without exalting self. You understand that? So notice that. They cherish self-exaltation, selfishness, and hatred. For these sins, God banished us. The devil's talking to demons. For these sins, God banished us from his presence, and all who follow our example will meet a similar fate. Go to the book of Luke, the 22nd chapter. Do you know that right at the time when probation was about to close, there was seven years left of the prophetic time. Jesus lived out three and a half of those years. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, and there was only three and a half more years left before probation closed. Right around the time, just a few short years before the close of probation, what was the attitude of God's children? And I wonder if we see these things happening today. Notice what the Bible says, Luke 22, Luke, the 22nd chapter, and we're going to consider verse 21. Luke 22 and verse 21. When you get there, just say amen. 
All right, notice this. Luke 22, starting at verse 21, the Bible says, but behold. Now, keep in mind, Last Supper. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. Look at what he says, and then look at what's going on with God's people. It says, but behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. And truly the son of man goeth as it was determined, but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. Now watch verse 23. And they began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. But what does it say in verse 24? And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. Right at the time when Jesus was just moments from dying, the greatest disappointment that the disciples were ever going to go through, just a few short years before the actual close of probation on the nation of Israel, on the church of that day, these brothers are busy comparing themselves among themselves and striving and fighting and fussing and arguing of who's going to be the greatest. Right at such a sensitive time in prophecy, do we not see a lot of these things happening today? We see these same things happening today. One ministry against another ministry. One ministry tries to lock in all the resources and doesn't want to free it up for the other ministries to partake as well because they're afraid that their resources are going to get tapped into and they're going to suffer. So therefore, they'll sooner let that other ministry go down and say, oh, well, it must have been the Lord's will. We are an amazing people, brothers and sisters. It's amazing the things that we'll say. You know, I mean, people that do that all the time, they'll say things like, you know, well, uh, if God wants it to come to pass, he'll, he'll provide for it. And it's like, what do you mean? If, why don't you provide for it? Why don't you help? See, watch this. Let me teach you a lesson. Go to Philippians 4. I'm going to show you something very quickly. And I, I, it's funny. I believe this, and I taught this for years. And I just recently read it in the Ministry of Healing. I said, well, praise the Lord. Look at, me, look at Philippians 4. Very, very familiar text. Philippians 4, look at verse 19. In Philippians 4 and verse 19, I just want you to watch this promise. You know this promise. I know you know this promise. In Philippians 4, verse 19, what does it say? For my God shall supply what? All your needs. According to what? His riches and glory by whom? By Christ Jesus. Now watch this. Did God promise in his word, I will supply all your needs? Did God promise it? Okay. What a lot of us do is we read this verse and we get very mystical. When people and ministries have very real needs, we'll say, the Bible promises, God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glories. And they will say things like, trust God. And we let them trust God while sometimes we relinquish ourselves from support. Some people do this, not all. Now watch this. It is true that God supplies all of our needs. Let me show you the number one way that he does it. Go to Acts 4. In Acts, the fourth chapter, I'm going to show you the number one way that God supplies for all of our needs. I'm going to show it to you. It's right there in the Bible. God put these things there on purpose. In Acts, the fourth chapter, notice what the Bible says. We're going to go ahead and start right there at verse 31 to 35. In Acts 4, starting at verse 31, we'll take it to verse 35. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says in Acts 1, I'm sorry, Acts 4, 31, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken, where they were assembled together, and they were how many? All filled with what? 
the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. So notice that everybody's filled with the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. Verse 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of what? One heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had how many things? All things in common. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit has possession of our hearts. This is what happens when we become one and we're unified. Now watch this. It says next, verse 33, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Verse 34, neither was there any man among them that what? That lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold, verse 35, and laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto how many men? Every man according as he had. What's that last word? Now, what did God say he'll supply all of our? How did God do it? He did it through his people who were filled with his spirit. That's God. That, do you know that this is the practical way that God supplies all our needs? He doesn't tell everybody, go to the nearest lake and go find a fish and pull out some cash. Those are very special miracles that God does, but that's not his trend. His trend is he touches people's hearts if they're filled with the spirit. And brothers and sisters, we have to ask ourselves, am I filled with God's spirit? You see, God wants to get us to a precious place that we break out of this because that's not that's definitely not going to prepare the way. God is calling all of us to a higher state of selflessness. Higher concern, greater burden that only Christ can produce in the heart. I have to be honest with you. um, I have been called to work at a church. I have been doing traveling evangelism for many years. And it's clearly borne fruit that I'm grateful for. But I have to say that I have never been so happy as of November of last year, when I took my assignment to now work with this local church. We're still getting calls from Africa and Asia and Europe and Australia. I mean, it is crazy how many people are saying, come to Macedonia and help us. And I have to tell them, I'm going to have to help you in 2019, maybe 2020, if the Lord spares my life, because my focus is here, right here. We are turning that little church into a training school. We started our classes. All the members are missionaries. And we're being trained and we're learning how to go out in the field. I'm already taking some of them and we go out and we're doing Bible studies with people and all these things. And I'm loving it. I'm loving it. And so when I get invited to come speak, I'm just like, you know, Lord, what do you want to say to a whole bunch of present truth people, present truth schools, present truth, this, that and the other? I mean, they've heard so many messages. There's nothing deeper that we need to hear. When are you just going to literally cooperate with God and just get to that place to say, Lord, that's it. I surrender all. And the one thing I refuse to do, I promise God, I'll never do it. I'll never do it. And I haven't done it. My whole ministry, I've never done it. I don't go stretching scripture to try to present something new to people. Keep the message simple and keep it straight. Because if there's one thing I know you're all getting is you're getting the message tonight. God wants us to prepare the way. What are we preparing the way for? We're preparing the way, brothers and sisters, 
to help people understand where is Jesus? He's in the most holy place. What's, what's he doing there? He wants to cleanse the sanctuary, but he can't cleanse the sanctuary until he does what? Cleanses people. How much, how much filthiness does he want to cleanse us from? And as he cleanses us from all filthiness, he wants us to do what else? To perfect something. What does he want us to perfect? Holiness. This is what he wants. Every message that we give, everything that we give must be designed to bring about what Christ wants. You know, one of the things that I'm studying, I'm putting it together right now. It's not done yet. I am so excited. Got a brand new series coming out. And we're getting ready to finally start our YouTube channel. Very happy about that. And I'm getting ready to do a study on a chapter we will counsel to study every day. You know what God told us to study every day? 1 Corinthians 13. And literally, I took every single one from verses 4 to 7. Love is, love is, love is, love is. And every single one is going to have its whole message just on that one. Love is kind, a whole message on what is kindness and what is its counterfeit. And I've never shed so much tears writing that thing down because I'm like, Lord, truly you are altogether lovely and I am altogether ugly. Like, there was a time I would say that, and in my mind, I was like, no, I'm not. (laughs) Like a lot of us. That's for real, for real. A lot of us. I'm very serious about this. We say a lot of stuff that we do not believe. That is Christ Object Lessons, page 159. You read it. She says, the heart says all sorts of things that it does not acknowledge. She says, while we're talking about humility and all these things, she says, our own hearts are swelling with conceit. That's how wicked we are. Do you know the number one prerequisite to receive the righteousness of God? Do you know know what the number one? Let me show it to you. Let's do a little Bible test. Go to Romans 4. You're an astute group here, so I would imagine you'll give me my answer quickly. Romans 4. Notice what it says in verse 5. In Romans 4 and verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. How do we get righteousness according to the verse? How do we get righteousness according to the verse? By faith. Give me more because that's not the answer. By not working, that's not the answer. He that believeth, that's not the answer. Listen to what I'm saying to you. If you don't get what this verse is saying, I guarantee you you don't have righteousness. I'm very serious. If you and I don't get what this verse is saying, maybe that's the reason why we got the problems we have. Because we've yet to understand righteousness. It's a very simple thing. It's just read Carefully the verse. Ellen White says something often. She says, read prayerfully and carefully. You got to do it. Come on, family. It's right there in the verse. The answer is literally sticking right in your face. 
Thank you. He got it. Could you say it one more time? Admit you're ungodly. You must admit you're ungodly. Did you look at the verse again? It says, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth who? The, who's the only people that God justifies? The ungodly. So if you and I don't see that we're ungodly, we can't be justified. As long as we got something in us that says, I'm not that bad. Because, again, you know what we're going to do? We're going to fall right back into 2 Corinthians 10, 12. We're going to compare. I'm not that bad. I mean, after all, I didn't do like him. This is what keeps us from experiencing Christ our righteousness. We are always so quick to give ourselves some level of accolade. To say something. And that's the last thing the Bible talks about is the greatness of man. You can study from Genesis to Revelation. God wants us to understand, are you convinced? That's a message I did at Mentone Church. That was one of the most, in my opinion, that was one of the most powerful messages I ever did. Because I said, Father, I see it. And I literally, that was the title of the sermon. I said, are you convinced? Because until we're convinced, I am an ungodly person. You could never receive righteousness. Because you already think you're all right. Do you understand that? This thing is serious. I'm, I'm really trying to, to get us past the huff, the puff, and, and, and all the, the stuff. I want us to really think about it. How do you really see yourself? This is why we're stuck in this planet. This is why people keep dying and more people are going to keep dying. More people are going to get sick. Until God can help us see how wretched and miserable and poor, blind, and naked we really are. Literally, when you read, it's right there in Testimonies to Ministers and Gospel Workers. It comes from a little book, Special Testimonies A, Book 9, page 62. Ellen White says, when we see our own nothingness, we are then prepared to receive the righteousness of Christ. That's the third angel's message. And that's not what's being preached enough. Pointing out everybody and how messed up they are and all the organizations, how messed up they are, talking about the church and how messed up we are. And it's like, we're, okay, where's Christ our righteousness? God wants us to understand this is how men shall know that you are actually my followers. I don't read anything in scripture where he says that because you, you preach the right message. I've never heard Jesus limited to that. Limit it to that. That message must have a corresponding effect upon your heart and mind. Can I show you in closing the great demonstration that Christ needs to be made if we're ever going to go home with him. God wants us to perfect what? Let me show you perfection on a whole different level. Go to Matthew 5. Matthew 5. In Matthew 5, I want you to see what the Bible says. And for your notes, I'll go ahead and put this up here. I don't want you to see that. Yeah. yeah you can go ahead and just jot those down. Yes, sister. Special Testimonies A, Special Testimonies A, 
Book 9, page 62. All right? Special Testimonies A, Book 9, page 62. When we see our own nothingness, we are prepared to receive the righteousness of Christ. As long as I don't see my own nothingness, I'm not prepared to receive the righteousness of Christ, and that's why I'm living on grace. Matthew 5. The Bible says in Matthew, the fifth chapter, uh, let's go ahead and let's take a look right here. Matthew 5, verse 43. You have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor, and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Now, wait a second. Hold up. Because I don't know if you're making the connections I'm making. John 13, 35, this is how all men shall know that you are my father when you have love one toward another, right? We here are looking at Matthew 5 and verse 43, where God is not only telling us to love our brothers, but now he's taking it deeper and he's saying, love your enemies, right? And then he just said, and when you do this, verse 45, that you may be what? The children of your father, which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Verse 48, be ye therefore perfect. As your father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Now, I made, a, I made a vicious mistake with this verse. I read Matthew 5, 48. Be ye therefore perfect. Hey, Dwayne, you want some bad food? Nope. Be ye therefore perfect. Hey, Dwayne, why don't, you, why don't you put on this bad dress? Nope. Be ye therefore perfect. Hey, D, you want to listen to some of that old school music we used to listen to when we used to jam in the clubs? No. Nah. Be ye therefore perfect. In Luke, the sixth chapter... I want you to notice what the Bible says and watch it from verse 27 to verse 36. Same exact story. The Bible says in verse 27, but I say unto you, which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you. Pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee. And of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. Notice the people that love those that love them. How did God define them? Sinners. Then he says in verse, uh, what we got here? Verse, yeah, verse 33. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners 
also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love ye your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. And now watch verse 36, which is in perfect parallel to Matthew 5, 48. He says, be ye therefore merciful as your father, which is in heaven, is merciful. My brothers and sisters, I eat a whole food plant based diet. That's what I eat. I eat whole foods, okay? Whole foods. Fruits, grains, nuts, vegetables, and seeds. But I've shaken the hands of many vegans who do that and then some. And in the eyes of heaven, they're sinners. I've met people with skirts that are long all the way down. You don't even know what the knob on their ankle looks like. Long sleeves cover all the way up to the collarbone. Their bodies are a complete mystery. And they have the spirit of a harlot. I'm talking stuff that's real. I'm not, I'm not talking anything. I'm telling you, once you start doing counseling with people, it's amazing. You say, really? Hmm. Okay. And this is a man who believes in is an advocate of dress reform. There are people who are incredible preachers and teachers on pulpits. But some of them are mean. Very nasty. They're only kind to those who believe like them. They only network with those who believe like them. If you merely believe a doctrine different from them, there are people who stand for all sorts of high teachings, but they still speak disrespectfully to their spouses. They still provoke their children to anger. They still neglect their wives. Or sometimes they indulge their wives, which also means you don't love them. The same way Eli, when he indulged his children, you know that testified he didn't love them. There's some men that think it's virtuous that everything their wives cry for, they're like, okay, honey, here you go. And, and they think, I'm just being like God. No, you're not. Some of us are hurting our wives. There's some wives that are hurting their husbands, emboldening them in things that they clearly see. If my husband keeps doing that and if Jesus were to come, I know my husband would be lost. And the wives see it. They see it. But in the name of love, they keep quiet. And they don't say anything. What I'm telling you, my brothers and sisters, Jesus wants us to understand. You can have a winter convocation. You can have another one next year. You can have another one the year after that. And more people will die. More people will get sick. More people will suffer. More people will go through pain. And eventually, and you know how it is, sometimes we don't care until it finally hits our own homes. 
And then we say, come, Lord Jesus, comes. I was talking to my bride today. I said, honey, I said, I'll tell you the truth. I said, I marvel at the fact that I have power to hurry up the second coming of Jesus. Every single one of you. God says, I have given you power through my Holy Spirit that if you cooperate with me, you can hasten the coming of the Lord. And in my mind, I'm like, what do we want still on this earth? And and, and I'm serious. It's just a place where God got me. And yes, I admit he had to lay me down for it. I admit it. I admit it. As your brother, I'm telling you, I admit it. It was when I discovered I had a problem with my heart. It is when I discovered that I was almost going to die. It is when I came up out of it and he said, Mr. Lemon, we repaired your heart, but it is possible it could go down again. It is possible. Statistically, you have 10 to 20 years before we'll have to put you back on a surgical table. And one day after going through this battle of healing, I told my wife, I said, honey, I said, I must admit, I said, I've lost my ambitions. I said, I want Jesus to come. I said, now I understand what people go through. Couldn't understand before. Just couldn't relate. Just couldn't relate. God has allowed me to go through something that now I can relate. I said, this is what they're going through? This is not good. Lord, we need to come back. There's a lot of us that's suffering. A lot of people that's hurting. And it needs to come to an end. And so my hope and my prayer is simple. We're told many take it for granted that they are Christians simply because they subscribe to certain theological tenets. But they have not brought the truth into practical life. They have not believed and loved it. Therefore, they have not received the power and grace that come through sanctification of the truth. Men may profess faith in the truth, But if it does not make them sincere, kind, patient, forbearing, heavenly minded, it is a curse to its possessors. And through their influence, it is a curse to the world. God says, parents, have you noticed we're losing our children? You know, we think our children are in the truth because they sit properly. They don't talk back. You know when you meet somebody who loves Jesus, don't you? Sometimes you look at your children and sometimes you say, I don't see that. Sometimes you see things, words they say and things they do, and maybe sometimes they get a little access to that wicked tool, the social media. Pictures come up that you're like, Lord, have mercy. And the devil's like, while you're not getting it together and while you're taking your time to let the Lord straighten you out, Satan says, I'm working with vehement energy. We have many things to motivate us to understand what true surrender is. And so for me, for the rest of this weekend, that's what I'm going to be doing. For this weekend, we're going to talk tomorrow about how do we really live this life of Jesus? How do we like do it for real in a very practical, real way? That is so simple that a child can understand it, but it's so powerful it can actually finish the work. And I believe that as we go over these things for the remainder of this weekend, there's some people in this room that's really going to get it. 
and your hearts and your homes are going to be changed forever. And I am asking God every day, help me to be counted amongst that number, Lord, my heart and my home. Pray for your brother as I continue to pray for you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.